Hello there, and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have two co-hosts. My name is Sean Rakunis, and the guy that you can't really see in a very small box. That guy's name is Hunter Sigona. Hunter and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building our musical knowledge with our feature guests jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Here is our musical quote for today. If you have to ask what jazz is, you'll never know. Louis Armstrong. Our returning guest today is my friend, Joel Kayser. Joel Kayser has been playing the trumpet for seven years. He is first chair trumpet in the Portage Central High School Symphonic Band and principal trumpet at the Kalamazoo Junior Symphony Orchestra. He has studied with many great trumpet players, including Keith Gaiman, Dr. Robert White, and Dr. Stephen Jones. He has had lessons with Professor Raymond Mace, Professor Terry Everson, and Jack Suit. He has also taken master classes with Professor Michael Davison, Professor John Alley, Professor Vince DiMartino, and David Krause. He is one of the 15 trumpet players at the 2017 Tanglewood Trumpet Institute. Additionally, he has been to Western Michigan University's seminar music program, Interlochen, and many more elite camps. He is very passionate about teaching the trumpet and looks forward to teaching the techniques that he has learned over the years to other people. So without further ado, here is Joel. All right. Hey, Joel, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Great to have you back. And today we're going to talk about your top 10 jazz tunes. And we're really going to be kicking it off pretty quick on this new year with precious Esperanza Spalding. Um, I really want to get into it right away because, man, uh, when she started singing, she had the most soothing, relaxing voice. And it, it, it put me into the, the best headspace I've, I've been in a while due to, you know, what was going on with 2020 and listening to the way her her voice is almost like angelic or even just it, it, it's just so soothing and it just cuts right to the soul um, and really getting kind of deep right away here. Um, what does that say about her artistry? Um, <laughs> I think she's. A fantastic artist personally um i just discovered her like this past year honestly um even though people have been telling me to like check her out for like a while i just like haven't had the time to um but now with covid you, we have plenty of time to do everything <laughs> but um man she's insane like right. if you look up some of her youtube videos she's because she's actually a bass player too right she right, yeah like plays bass like plays these awesome bass lines and seeing like improvising bass lines and sing at the same time is like mind boggling. So I've been going down like the Esperanza rabbit hole for a while now. And man, she's just great. Like she went up in my top 10 favorite jazz artists of all time. Um, as soon right. as I listened to her, she's just right. crazy. Right. I, I was definitely just initially because the opening is just this opening line with no intended um, rhythmic indication. 
but mm-hmm. they put it together as a motive and then it comes back at the end which is unbelievable but i do want to get into more of a groove or the progressions that are used in the song um which do you prefer more the groove is just so laid back and at the same time very focused mm-hmm. and then at the other time the chord progressions are like everywhere but they make <laughs> so much sense so yeah. what do you like more what what sort of do you enjoy more listening to the the, the progressions or the groove um i think it's i think it's really close but i think i like the progressions a little bit more um and it's really she's really good at like uh you know playing jazz but also reaching out to like a wider audience um because i think she got like the she got a grammy for like the new music new uh musical artist award beating out justin bieber and drake in like 2011 or whatever wow so (laughs) she's definitely doing something right if jazz um if her jazz music is getting out to the popular audience you know right yeah and i want to think that's i think that's through the chords yeah Uh, i think that's through the chords that she's uh like and i think that's a lot of things that people are doing like jacob collier and uh charlie puth where they're like slowly um expanding people's horizons especially with chords and how melodic structures are supposed to be just like slowly doing that without um you know playing chords that people get lost on you know very quickly right yeah i have to say after i listened to the song i had jitters because it was Mm -hmm. just incredible i had never heard anything like that before um what do you do after you listen to a song like that? Do you just continue on living your day, or I mean, I'm, I'm just not I'm not sure what what to do next. What would you do? How do you? I just I just that? listen to more of her stuff, like the entire <laughs> album. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like a really happy song. Um, right. I usually listen to it on walks or something um, right. when I go to the music building in the morning or whatever. But yeah, man, yeah, it's a good production song too. She's she is, she is so killing and like I was talking about the um the beginning it ends the same way um mm-hmm. interestingly enough it has this weird moment where it gets really loud and then it just immediately gets soft and then mm-hmm. it just and then it just ends and I am kind of a sucker for really good endings and that was one of the best endings to a song I've ever really heard before um getting back to her artistry and and what that means to her song making what does that what is your takeaway from that take away from her artistry or maybe the end of the song Hmm. don't mind me asking um the end of the song i'm just trying to think how it ends exactly um well, let's take a listen to it. I'm going to yeah. pull it up and uh, let's even take a listen to a little bit of the end. And I am going to pull it up on Spotify. And here we I'm going to just get up, get it up and going. Let's see. Where are we? We're doing Precious. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the head. Let's listen to the end. <laughs> and then it just ends yeah which I, which I think 
is incredible. Now, do you have any thoughts on that, Joel? It's almost as like easygoing as the beginning, you know. It's not like we're starting now, we're ending now. It's kind of uh it's kind of like those 80s songs where it gradually fades away, you know, and then nothing else. <laughs> right. No, um yeah. yeah, I think I think it's fantastic how uh you know, everything she does is uh it's complicated, but she keeps it simple to to the ear. And I think right. especially the last chord I think it's it's like a dominant chord or whatever. Um, you know, it's not normal and standard popular music, but it's nice to listen to. Right. I, I really enjoy the way she goes la 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 and then that just kind of holds out at the end. And then yeah. like that dominant sound is beautiful, but it, it, it sounds like tonic. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't sound like tonic, but I think it it's it's kind of a beautiful message to say it's not done, the song's not done. You just keep listening to it. I think that's a beautiful message to to go along with that song. Um, I want to let Hunter take over the next song, and Hunter, take it away. And here I am, because I was having weird noises coming from the other room, and I didn't know what they were doing, which is why I muted myself. Um, all right, the next song we're going to talk about is Came to Believe by Dave Stryker. <laughs> Um, and you specifically, or at least we had specifically written down um, big band recording. And I really enjoyed this piece. And, you know, I was surprised, but I really enjoyed the, um, the whole sort of atmosphere it created and the sound of the group. Um, and I don't think people realize just how many jazz styles there are. I think people hear jazz, they automatically have an assumption of what that means to them. And, you know, this is obviously a very specific type. It had such a very cool and laid back feel to it. Um, what style might you classify, what, what, what genre of jazz might you, you classify this as? Hmm. Um, um, it's kind of like, it's like a little funk and maybe a little R&B, mm -hmm. you know. I think, th you know, it's very bluesy, so. But it's not. It's. I mean, it's swinging, but it's not swung. So right. I think it's a. I think it's more like R and B and funk. Yeah. I'd say that's good. Um, what do you think? Add. What do you think adding the the big band aspect to the song adds to the piece? You know, why not just have a smaller ensemble like a lot of modern jazzists have? Yeah, I think. The big band sound really um, helps it, and it, it features the guitar player, which is really nice. And it doesn't, you know, you don't really hear in a big band setting like a guitar solo most of the times, um, unless the leader is a, is a guitar player. Like what happened? Um, but uh, I think just the different sounds really help it. Like the horn line, the, especially the trumpet line, is really great. It's like this hot jazz lead sound, um, which really helps it. Um, at, at MSU, we were going to perform it for one of our virtual concerts, but uh, and that, that's like my first encounter with the song. Um, uh, but with scheduling and some other stuff, it didn't end up happening. Um, we had to cut that one yeah. from the program. Oh, that's a shame. What was in the yeah. program? Um, so we had um, the guitar player from the group as uh, artist in residence. So I played with each of our um, jazz programs 
Jazz Orchestra 1, 2, and 3. And I was in Jazz Orchestra 2, um, second trumpet. So I get all the cool lines without playing high. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Sean knows what I mean. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, um, I don't remember. We, we played a lot of R&B and funk type stuff. The, the piano player had uh, played a lot of organ on it. So it was a lot of it was a lot of blues I remember, oh. um, and it was a lot of really really good selections. Yeah, well that's good. You know, and it's always a shame when you have a, a good set that you can't uh, well, especially right now you can't perform for a live audience because I'm sure things would have been different if you had been you know if they had been scheduling a concert date and booking mm -hmm. a hall all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean I know you have a facility there, but. Um, so to get back to what we were saying before about adding the the big band to to this particular song, like you said, it it's it swings, but it it's not swung. So, what do you think putting that big band in there does for the sound of the group? Because the piece, like you said, you know, it's played more like a smaller. Um, it's played more like a smaller ensemble piece, right? Where you feature the guitar, mm -hmm. you know, it, it has a very, um, you know, very improv feel to it, which often isn't seen in a big band type setting. Um, so when you add the big band to it, does it change the the atmosphere? Does it change the the feel of the playing? While if you're in the group, what do you think? Yeah, I think it fleshes it out. Yeah, um, makes it a bigger obviously a bigger sound um the atmosphere I, I feel like the atmosphere kind of stays true to um almost like a small group um other than like when they all play together or whatever but i mean in those moments it doesn't it doesn't interfere with that atmosphere that much um which i think is why i really like it because it takes that small um atmosphere small jazz band uh small jazz combo atmosphere and kind of like fleshes it out with more parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a very cool piece. Um, is there a version of the song that's just a combo? See, I don't know. That's why I put mm -hmm. the big band version in there. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, I was curious. Because the first thing that popped up when I looked for it was this particular version. So I just I immediately clicked mm -hmm. on this. But it'd be interesting to see the, just the other one. Uh, now, yeah. given that the piece is uh, about seven minutes long, is there a part of it you like best? You know, is there a particular solo you like best, or a particular riff? Or I know you said this has a has a great trumpet part, but yeah, um, my favorite part was um, when everyone plays. But da 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 dum dee dum, but da da dum dee, but da da dum dee dum, but da da dum bum, and that like motif that happens all throughout the piece is why i really like it the most um yeah I, and i really like playing it when i was playing along to it when we were still doing it on the program um that was like my favorite part to play um because it's just so cool it's, it's, it's really simple too i think it's just forts or whatever but <laughs> mm -hmm. it's awesome I, I think it's really cool well you know something doesn't have to be overly complex to be good or to to really get into the groove right sometimes the simplicity mm -hmm. of whether you said it's just fourths or whether it's, you know, a simple one, four, you know, uh, one, six, two, five, one, or one, four, five, one. If, in, if you're, if we're talking about the progressions, it can work really well. And sometimes it's 
just enough to keep you immersed in the music. Mm -hmm. yeah. And something I know that's very immersive is the next song, which Sean would like to talk about. That's right. The next song we're going to talk about is The Villain I Appear to Be by Connor Spioto. Um, this one took me by surprise, Joel. I really liked this one a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what is the message of the song? Ooh. Um... <laughs> uh i mean there's a lot of things man it's right. it's uh there's actually a youtube animation to it um right, right. which i didn't know f the first time hearing the song um a friend showed it to me after i showed him the song on spotify um but it's like um i guess just like this guy it's like uh, i guess the message is like um this guy is trying to do something that like looks wrong, but he's actually trying to like benefit everyone else. Um, in, in the animation, he's like uh, like stealing this jewel with a bomb in it, but no one knows there's a bomb in it, and the police is chasing after him and everything like that. So I guess the message is like, uh, I guess just do what you think is right, um, even if other people are gonna be like you know like chasing you or dragging you down or whatever. You just right. gotta stay true to your vision. Right. I was definitely dumbstruck by the song because you start out with this very like dusky, dusky, well, I create a word, a dusty room, <laughs> sort of like a very like, you know, very like dark, um, I want to say like um, film noir setting. Yeah. And then just boom, pops right into the really fast section. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you because I want to talk about a little bit of form. Is the intro just long? Or is there two separate sections that sort of play with the whole Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing? Um, I I think of it just as like an introduction, and then it just starts taking off. You know, um, right. it starts speeding up. Um, I I think the introduction is really fantastic, to be honest. Uh, because it kind of gives like you said that like um from the noir setting or like um I kind of think of it as like a a jazz club where the lights are low, everything's red, velvety, you know. Right, yeah. Um <laughs> did you hear that uh sing 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 quote at the beginning with the drums? It's a uh, it's like it's the, it's the same thing right, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was hilarious, but um right, uh, yeah. sing sing from Brendan Goodman. Um but um yeah, I uh I, I don't really know. I think of it just more as an introduction, I guess, to the bigger part. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if it sort of played within the juxtaposition of the, the themes at all, because we do see like the one side versus the other side. So the different sort of visions that we sort of see that the singer talks about in the song, mm -hmm. um, which I think is interesting. And I do want to ask you this because at one point, um, right in the fast section, it almost feels like it, kind of pulls into this vaudeville sort of like broadway like number but it really doesn't it really does bridge the line between jazz and that and i think that really does sort of play along with the franticness or the untamed chaos of the song mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that uh yeah I th um <laughs> i think you put it really well <laughs> um 
Oh man, these are tough, t- tough questions. <laughs> did, I, did I leave you dumbstruck there? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think. I don't. I don't even know. Uh, could, you, could you maybe rephrase the question a little bit? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, make it even simpler. Um, what do you think about the last section? What is your What is your impression of the last section? Um, the fast section. Hmm. Can we listen to it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, let me see if I can grab my device. And let's uh, let's listen to it. Do 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 Yeah, it's like the perfect ending you said at the beginning. Um, sorry, sorry, Hunter, if it was too loud. Man. Um, yeah, what do you think about that, Joel? I, I think it perfectly fits with the beginning and like the right. style of it. Um, very like 1920s type. Uh, type sure. good, and it's like a good break for the singer to like do whatever they want there, which I think is very freeing to the song. <laughs> Right, yeah, because you do have those like extended chords at the end. It's probably like one of those like dominant seven sharp nines. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of cool. And then yeah. you get the big clunk at the piano at the end. But, <laughs> yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, now speaking of uh, some Joshua Redman Hunter, take it away. All right, I'm unmuting myself after having, you know, regaining my hearing. Um, <laughs> all right, so the next one is "Right Back Round Again" by Joshua Redman, featuring Brad. I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna butcher his last name. Brad Meldo. Is that? Correct? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, we'll go. We'll go with that, unless he happens to be listening and angrily calls us. Um, so. I think as much as people are uninformed about jazz, I think a lot of them are also misinformed about jazz, especially when it comes to the length of songs. You know, a lot of people, I think, you know, they they think jazz, they think like a a 20 minute song of guys hitting various auxiliary percussion equipment and, you know, the beatnik snapping sometimes. Um, But what rationale can you give for the, the the average audience about why a song like this is 10 minutes long um <laughs> i think everything just flows really well together um in this song i i guess the rationale for why i mean 
jazz songs are so long. I mean, if you look at classical songs, they're like sometimes an hour. <laughs> and it's slowly that progression to downsizing. Mm -hmm. That's true. Downsizing because, well, I don't, I don't think everyone has this problem, but like, I think our generation, especially, like, we want everything to be done quickly. We want to see the point of the video, like, in the first 30 seconds. So that's why songs are getting uh -huh. shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where it's only like two or three minutes now. Um, uh, which, uh, take as you will, I guess. I'm not going to comment about that. Uh, but, um, so like what I should rephrase my question. Um, sure. what, what, like what happens in the 10 minutes, right? I think that's what people wonder, like, is it because a lot of people I think assume it's 10 minutes of sheet music, you know, and that's not the case. So what happens in that 10 minutes? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of, you know, improvisation and passing it around. And I think the main thing is just like everything's developing. Because mm -hmm. um, at the beginning, it starts out with like the piano and drums or whatever. Um, and it slowly, you know, adds in the saxophone and stuff like that. But it's not like a slow song. I think what's really interesting about this is it's, um, you know, it starts very up tempo. It's very um, light. Um, it's not like a ballad or anything like that, but it still has that development feel, um, which I really like to it. Um, and plus, the solos are really great. I really like the melody too, and the um, um, the solos from the saxophone player and how that progresses. Mm -hmm. uh, look, the bells are chiming. Um, when a song is is this long. Can you explain what the structure of the song usually is? Like, is it ABAB? Is it, you know, ABBA? You know, how do you think this particular song is set up? Is it melody to solo back to melody or melody, solo, solo, melody? How, how is this particular song structured? Um, yes, I think it's structured like you have like the little intro with the piano and keys and bass. And then the saxophone comes in, plays the head. So that's mm -hmm. like the A section. Um, they, there's a little, you know, there's, there's a little outro to that or whatever. Um, and then uh, I think they just start improvising. And then there's probably a B section and then back to the A, you know, and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. that that's what I can remember from the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure. Sometimes like there's a there's a freezing lag and I, I can't tell if someone is still talking or not. So I don't want to talk over them. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it's good for people to know like there is a there's a form to the way it's set up. And it's not just like people playing for, you know, 10 whole minutes of just total improv. Um, Sometimes it's like that. It can be <laughs> definitely. There's definitely pieces like that. Yeah. And you're like, well, guys, cool it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Now, both songs for you that I've done so far have been live recordings, and um, meaning that the versions that you specified, ten, uh, ones that feature other performers or um, particular groups, tend to be live. Do you have a preference for live versus studio recorded? Um, or does it depend? It, it, it depends if the live, well, um <laughs> well sometimes studio recordings could be made in one take like especially a lot of miles recordings and stuff like that in the early um you know whenever 40s or whatever 50s um 
were all done in like one take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they showed up and they got the music, blew it down. Um, I think as we all do, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I think the cool thing about live recordings, though, um, and you don't really hear it on the tapes, are that uh, you have that human interaction. Like I was just finishing up watching this masterclass of James Morrison the other day, who's this Australian jazz trumpet player, probably one of my favorite jazz musicians. Man, he's crazy. Sean knows. <laughs> um, and he always talks about like, like, and that's like the really great thing about jazz is that you have that human interaction. If the crowd is going nuts, then you can play a little bit out more. You know, you can start going nuts, going high, faster, you know, whatever, and responding to that atmosphere. Um, so I think I think live recordings really have that benefit that studio recordings don't is that live audience. Mm-hmm. And do you think? Well, I mean, obviously, as performers, we all know that it, it does change the feel on stage. But what is that feel on stage that changes if you have an audience? I guess confidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if uh, you know, if they're hooting and hollering while you're playing a solo, then man, you just have so much power. And I mean, if you feel it too, like in your chops, um, you just have so much power and you can just do whatever and you can't really play off key. Um, and I think I think that's the great benefit of jazz compared to classical music or like anything else is that like after you solo, yeah. people applaud or during the solo, sometimes people like hooting and hollering or hopefully not heckling, but you know, you still have that human <laughs> interaction with the whole thing. They yell up, I heard that F sharp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I meant to do that. Uh, right. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a completely fair point, right? Uh, people who, who enjoy that, that uh, the energy that the crowd gives off, the, like you said, the boosting confidence that you feel on stage, people who really, really thrive off of that. Probably you're right, like jazz music or prefer jazz music and live performances over classical. Yeah. Which is completely understandable. And speaking of, you know, live performances and jazz masterclasses, um, Sean would like to talk about some Winton. That's right. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about some Cherokee. And um, the, one, <laughs> the one recording that uh, Joel wanted me to talk about was Winton Marcel's playing Cherokee. I'm really going to let this recording talk for itself for a little while, so I'm going to play a little bit of it. Hunter, I hope I don't blow your ears out. Um, but let's try this again here. Me too.
there is just so much happening <laughs> in that small excerpt of time. And that was only a minute and nine seconds. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, Joel, um, he is one of the best trumpet players out there, especially in this genre. Um, what do you admire about Marsalis in this opening section? Uh, I think the great thing about Marsalis and any great jazz musician um, is the ability to play by yourself and to put on a show by yourself. So I think that introduction was really nice where, you know, he's laying down the chords, he's laying down the melody, um, or he's laying down the chords while still laying down the melody and keeping it in time, which I think is really good too. Um, And I mean, he could probably put on an hour show just by himself and still get people to come and play and, you know, everything like that. Right. Which, if you think about it, is really crazy for, uh, like, an instrument like trumpet or, like, an instrument that can only play one note at one time. Right. I, I think it's incredible. I think he is amazing. Um, I want to ask you about good jazz technique because whatever he's doing in there is basically perfect. Um, and something that he does really well in, in this excerpt is he does sort of find a way from playing between micro and macro. And for those who don't really know what that means, it's sort of really playing within the beat of two and the beat of four. So instead of going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, he really lays on one, two, one, two, one, two. And you might have heard, you might have heard, and that sort of really plays on to the two. And then him really playing on specific with more 16th notes. So I think it's really cool. That he does that. Um, so my question, Joel is, um, uh, what is good jazz technique? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> That's not a loaded That's question. A loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think good jazz technique comes from listening uh, and just really having a strong foundation and swing. Like, I mean, when Marsalis talks about this all the time in his master classes where uh, you have to understand like where the music's coming from and right like how swing started and when marsalis says i mean there's like a huge debate about this but um when marsalis talks about how it comes from like celtic music and like like the irish jig right. um and that's how you get like the swing music and then just like really working on you know playing things one playing classically accenting the second beat you know the do they do they do you know all that stuff right. um and just making it sound seamless and connecting it. I think that's something that I'm working on a lot right now is just trying to get that, I, even though it's super simple, just trying to get really comfortable with that and um, use that in my improvisations. Because um, I think I have a pretty good understanding of the theory down and like how, how things, but like the way the articulation really can determine if you're playing a good jazz solo or a bad jazz solo. Right. So I think articulation is really key in jazz technique right another i big ideal within jazz playing and hunter alluded to it just a little bit but um let's get into a little more we're going to talk about communication communication between a rhythm section how important is that into what marsalis just did (laughs) super important i think um the rhythm section is probably well definitely the most important section um you know it's kind of like the uh it is it's awesome because it's like the foundation of the group 
um, especially like if you look at the drums, it's like the foundation of the group, um, but it still has to adapt to what you're playing. Um, like if you're, or the keyboards have to react to what you're playing. If you're leaving space and the keyboards or the drums can fill in or the bass can fill in. Um, so I think that communication and constant flexibility is also very important, like in jazz technique. Mm -hmm. Everything's just like open ears, right? Uh, and just, just trying to understand that and be comfortable with that. You can only do through performance. You know, you can't really learn to do that by yourself. Um, so hopefully when things go back to normal, we're going to be playing a lot, uh, you know, and getting comfortable with that. Right. I think on that note, Joel, we're going to take a break. Um, and I want to mention to our listeners that this break will be sponsored by our friends at Anchor. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, like Joel does, um, <laughs> we are at Music Speaks underscore pod on Twitter. We are Music Speaks underscore podcast on Instagram. Music Speaks podcast on Facebook and at Music Speaks underscore podcast for TikTok for the kids. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to more. Uh, we'll talk to Joel about more of his song choices, and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back with Joel. And Joel, we are on your sixth. Oh, yeah, Sean is waving. Hold on. <laughs> Taking a little while to sit up here for some reason. It says it's recording. Okay, we can just trim that beginning off. Okay, and we're back. We're back with Joel. And Joel, we are on number six of your choices, uh, which is called The Time Is, or just in, without the, Time Is Right by Woody Shaw. And... Um, the beginning has this very free, almost airy feel to it. <laughs> and I, I thought that was really cool before it jumps into the, the rest of the song. But the beginning has, it's very neat. Um, do you have a part to you that stands out, you know, that really gets you into a groove? Yeah, honestly, the beginning is, is the same. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's so interesting and like really like 60s and 70s feel where it's like super trippy um mm -hmm. and plus the voice is like super crazy i think that's why i've grabbed like i've heard this song i don't know for like five six years now but um i think that's what really made me gravitate towards uh esperanza spalding because they have very similar vo voices um very like floaty floaty voices mm -hmm. um and uh I mean, Woody Shaw is just an insane trumpet player as well. And, like, uh -huh. especially some of the lip trails he does. Not to get super technical, but I think that's his lip trails are like, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I need to go practice. <laughs> no, um, get as technical as you want. Yeah, but um, that technique, you know, he's not just doing that to do that. It also fits within the song and it keeps that really, like, floaty atmosphere to the. Um, to the to the song with the lip trills so mm -hmm. and what is uh, for the for the listeners what is a lip trill it's where um it's 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 kind of like a trill where um you just you know go between two notes really quickly mm -hmm. but this time you just use your lips so you just hold down the same fingerings um and you just oscillate between the notes very quickly mm, which i imagine is not easy 
Nope. <laughs> that's not really something you can do on, at least, you know, because I'm a clarinetist, that's not really something you can do on clarinet. You know, you can bend up to notes and stuff, but like you can't really alternate between just using your your embouchure, which is one of the the cool tricks that a trumpet can do, mm-hmm. and well, and, yeah. and a lot of the brass instruments. Um, interestingly, I read this album was recorded in Italy. Actually, hmm. they were they were working with one of the the red labels in Italy, and it was recorded in 1983. So I thought that was pretty cool, and. I also read that Woody had a photo. Uh, he had a photographic memory. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <Dang. laughs> so, uh, yeah, photographic memory and perfect pitch, just in case he wasn't cool enough. Um, what do you think? Uh, you know, obviously, everyone you know imagines having a photographic memory, but for a musician, what might that help you with? Um. Uh... I mean, I guess you can just look at the music once, and then you'll be fine. It, it depends what it is. Is uh, like it's it could help with transcribing solos if you have a if you you know write it out, and then you just look at it. Then you have that in your brain. I don't know how photographic memory works with transcribing solos from ear like entirely and not writing it down afterwards. Um, if if that helps or not, but I mean, like transcribing solos, like we talked about that. Uh, like that jazz foundation earlier and like the technique transcribing solos is it's insane like um to play some of the stuff even like louis armstrong did um is kind of nuts like he, he was a truly virtuoso player for his time and um uh-huh. some of his lines are really tough like i remember even watching an interview with winton marcel was talking about how tough like playing some of louis solos were for him like he's like, man, those are so tough. Like I could barely get through it. <laughs> and he's one of Marsalis, probably one of the greatest trumpet players of our generation, or not our generation, but of all time. But, um, sorry, mm-hmm. I, I got super lost there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's gonna help him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I actually think there is another type of memory. It's called like tonal memory or identic tonal memory or something like that, which is what you were talking about earlier, which is not seeing something and and remembering it, but hearing something and being able to recall it. So if you have perfect pitch plus tonal memory, I imagine you'd be able to write here an improvised solo and be able to play it back immediately. Yeah. Which would probably also be pretty helpful. He did not, however, have that. That's good. But regardless, he was still a cool guy. Um, yeah. Um, any trumpet players or, or or previous musicians that you think really influenced his work? Oh, Anyone man. in particular? Uh, yeah, Louis Armstrong, definitely. I think that's like a standard for everyone. Probably Clifford Brown, who's on my later list. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, who else? Maybe Fast Navarro. Navarro. Um, he's a little lesser well known. Um, and who is he? He was uh, a jazz trumpet player who was kind of between Louis Armstrong and uh, like Clifford Brown. He really influenced like Clifford Brown's playing and a little bit of Lee Morgan's playing. Um, 
who's another fantastic jazz trumpet player. And they were like Clifford Brownlee Morgan are kind of like in the 40s and 50s in the hard bop era. Uh, I would say like people like Woody Shaw and Fast Navarro, uh, not Fast Navarro, Freddie Hubbard are um, people who are kind of like those post hard bop players. Um, probably Dizzy Gillespie too for um, Woody Shaw now that I'm thinking about it. He was a great bebop trumpet player. Mm-hmm. a ton of people too yeah i think he influenced him a lot though uh woody shaw because i think he played at a this like dizzy gillespie thing where um like dizzy gillespie's disciples came out like arturo sandoval and people like i think woody shaw was there i can't remember though mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that's it's always interesting to me to see the the sort of progression of players, you know, how the, the one generation influences the next, um, which could be said of pretty much anything. Um, and speaking of one generation, prior to what we were just talking about, well, I suppose the recording's not, but Sean would like to talk about some Mania de Carnaval. That is right. And we're going to talk about some Carnaval with some Freddie Hubbard, another trumpet giant. And I thought it'd be another good idea to listen to some of his solo on this tune. So let's check it out. Yeah, man. soloist man he was amazing um what techniques does he use in the solo uh i think a lot of what i heard was like a lot of um like bebop scales and a lot of repetition um like to me in that solo i heard a ton of influence from like it was like a cross between miles davis Mm -hmm. uh like a little clifford brown 
actually a lot quicker ground and like a little bit of Dizzy Gillespie with like bebop lines. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of things that make sense, not playing super fast notes, you know, a lot of, so staying true to that hard bop era of like keeping things um, melodic for people who don't know, hard bop is like kind of related to like, uh, like R and B and like, like, almost like the start of funk a little bit, but like R&B and blues lines and melodic lines while still keeping it a little bit like faster than that. Um, and, you know, hard bob, kind of like a post-bob type thing, you know, yeah. afterwards. And this is a minor jazz tune, um, which I think really does help with larger improv ideas because I think minor allows you to do a little more embellishment rather than a major tune. Um, yeah. What does that really say about this song, and and how do you feel about the improv that Hubbard did in in this in this genre of music? Well, yeah, I think with the minor stuff, you can pull a lot of things. You can do different modes with that, you know. Yeah. Um, if you want flat seven, natural seven, or um, flat six, natural six, whatever. Um, and man he's just killing it i think i think the main thing with the solo is just like the repetition and how he plays it uh so well and i think that's something miles davis did really well too is that repetition and keeping things simple right like he's holding notes out too and sustaining stuff but uh mm -hmm. it, it sounds great nonetheless he's not he's not trying to show off too much he's playing to the music right I think is really beautiful and I really did enjoy listening to that tune because there was just so many different emotions going into that song. Um, and talking about another trumpet player, but although he died too young, um, Hunter, do you want to talk about some Clifford Brown? Certainly. So this song by Clifford Brown is called Jordu and it's actually not by him. It was actually written um, in 1953, but Brown recorded it two years later along with the drummer Max Roach. And I mean, it's a standard. It's been recorded by many, many different people. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of the others, um, but if you have, is this a favorite version of yours or is it just the, the most notable? Or is it the one that you know? Um. Yeah, I've heard others. Uh, I, I would say this is my favorite because Clifford Brown's solo and Clifford Brown's playing on everything is just fantastic. You know, he was a mathematician before he was a musician. Um, was he? Like he went through math school and stuff. <laughs> school for mathematics. <laughs> yes, math the great math school. <laughs> um, um, so I think what's really fantastic, and you know, he only died at age 25. I think what's fantastic about Clifford Brown is like he uses he's so creative and he's so um, smart that he can make like even the simplest lines sound really awesome. And with different always, articulations and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, you always wonder, it's interesting. I didn't know that about, about him having been a mathematician, but you wonder, is that somehow connected to his, um, his playing ability? Cause they say that the same part of the brain that controls um, musical ability and the ability to spatially manipulate things in our head is also the same part that controls math. So, which is funny because you talk to most, most most musicians and they're like, ew, I hate math. But 
there is a connection between the two of them. And I wonder if the fact that he was so well-versed in it may have contributed to his playing. Yeah, I think so. I, I think yeah. it greatly influenced his playing. Because um, like you said, he can spatially recognize that stuff and what he wants to play in his head. Right. It, it sort of might have helped form some of the, some of his soloing. And also, like you said, you know, he did die so young and it always, you know, it's one of the other big mysteries is someone as talented as him, had he lived longer, you know, would he have gotten better? Would he have been more famous? Would he have, um, yeah, I mean, we'd like to think so. Right. I mean, but you know, sometimes some people say like, you know, they burn bright, but, but fast and might've burned out had they, you know, been any older, you, you never know if they would have messed up their life. It could have gone anyway, but one note of that on, a, on that pleasant note, um, <laughs> I noted that the song is written in AABA format. And mm -hmm. could you explain to the listeners specifically what that means for those who are not versed in musical form? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Um, Well, you have like you have the A form, A, the A, A section, A. and then, uh, yeah. Um, so you have that beginning section, and then it kind of like develops not into a bridge, just still like kind of in the same key as the A section and everything. And it starts mm -hmm. like improvising a little bit, and then you have the bridge, which is the B section, which connects it back to the beginning, which is the A. Right, right. So for so. If you were, and you can do this with anything, right? So you were to start with probably the the main melody, and then, like you said, develop it a little bit more, but keeping with that main theme into the bridge, back to the original, mm -hmm. um, or or the the, the a, a beginning section. Um, do you know what the title is referring to? Because I couldn't find anything. I don't think so. I I, I don't. I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sean, anything? No. Got me stumped there, man. No. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, it, it almost sounds like Jordu. It almost almost sounds like an African word. I, I really don't know, but that's what it sounds like to me. Um, and he would have been writing at a time that uh, a lot of people were, were starting to dig into their African roots if they happen to be part of that community. So maybe that's where it comes in. Um, because, you know, the 50s was sort of the catalyst for a lot of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And then mm -hmm. um, in the 70s, massive resurgence of um, interest in African-American heritage. Hence the massive amounts of African-American groups that, that popped up in the 70s. Um, although they were very present in the 50s as well, as we all know. Um, anything else about this particular song that stands out to you? Like you hear it and you say just, you know, either yes, please, or it really speaks to you his trumpet solo <laughs> i think yeah i think it's um i think something i mean we're going to talk about clifford brown a little bit more um but i think what's something that's fantastic about clifford brown is that uh like if you really think about it about like who influenced like which trumpet player influences jazz musicians the most Mm -hmm. or trumpet, uh, trumpet players the most. Um, 
it wouldn't really be Louis Armstrong. It wouldn't really be Miles. I think it would really be Clifford Brown. Because, and, and this is why, because just like the lines he play are so melodic and they're so thought out. And um, like, I remember talking to everyone at State and even AT and Charles, um, who's, and we talked about this uh, in studio where AT and Charles was talking about how like Clifford Brown was like the most influential player too. If you don't know who AT and Charles is, go look him up. He's, uh, <laughs> uh, he's crazy, crazy good, crazy good trumpet player, crazy good musician. Um, I remember like he in my lesson one time he's like, man, I didn't warm up, and then he like plays his uh, double high C from nowhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his musicianship <laughs> is really nuts too. Um, he's played at Jazz at Lincoln Center. He's played at Dizzy Club. He just played. He actually, we had to reschedule on my lessons because he was playing at Dizzy's Jazz Club in New York, and he had to go fly down there. Um, but Clifford wow. Brown is insane with like the technique he does, which is doodle tonguing, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> I guess just the melodic lines, you know, he was truly groundbreaking. And like, I personally like to think if he lived longer um, to like 80 or whatever, he would definitely surpass people like Louis Armstrong and the fame with that. Mm -hmm. Hey, it would be certainly nice, wouldn't it? And it would be good, would have been good for him. Mm -hmm. And you know, I always wonder how might he have changed the industry had he lived on? Would he have been a mentor to others? Would he have um push the industry in a certain direction you know it's always stuff to think about mm -hmm. and now sean would like to continue with clifford brown that is right we're going to check out september song and joel specifically wanted to talk about clifford brown's trumpet solo with sarah vaughn who is an incredible vocalist um this song is gorgeous it's beautiful so slow really does play into clifford's brown clifford brown's lyrical um side of playing which is it's it's, it's gorgeous um and so is sarah vaughn in this too um so without any further ado i thought i would pull up the song once again let's take a little bit of a listen to his solo on september song Thank <laughs> you. 
And we're gonna skip the flute solo for right now. <laughs> um, we do <coughs> do talk about um, a lot of high, fast jazz, but there is something really beautiful about playing peaceful jazz. I think that's something that's really like unspoken on a lot of different levels. Um, and he really, he really does a lot in that one, like maybe like 50 second solo mm -hmm. around a lot, but it's not, it's not loud. It's not like, like you were talking about earlier with articulation. Um, let's talk a little bit about the solo. What do you, what do you think about the solo? Um, well, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, I think what's really awesome about it is um, it stays like within an octave, right? Or like an octave and a half. It's like it's like right in the middle of the horn, right? Nothing too high, nothing too loud, like you said, Sean. Um, making melodies the entire time, which uh, I mean, think about it, like try just like try coming up with melodies during the solo it's really hard to do and right. like try to coming up with catchy melodies which is i think why clifford brown stands out so much is right. and winter marcellus because they both can create melodies while they're playing and they have like a ton of licks that they know um to create those melodies with it's not just like a bunch of loud fast playing um that you can't really um make sense of it, right. it's very articulate um the articulation is even on the same note, you know, he's doodle tonguing, which is like, um, where you go like da da, like where you use your tongue to say uh, n or l syllable, and you kind of stop, like the tongue goes to the roof of your mouth, but the air still goes past it, and you get like this ghost note or like this subtoned kind of thing, um, which Clifford Brown was definitely the master of. Like everything he plays, right, in Cherokee or whatever is all single tongue um right with just doodle tonguing in it um which i think is something that clifford brown and one of marcellus do really well is just having that quick articulation while having having it be single tongued right um i do want to get back to the idea of this soft peaceful sound of of playing jazz when you listen to something like this do you like we, we talked about this when we talked about esperanza a little bit um but how do you how do you feel after listening to this do you feel relaxed do you feel like taking taking a nap yeah <laughs> what, do you, what do you do one after you listen to this uh it's very complete yeah. uh you're not left oh man he should have done this he should have done that it's very complete and um it's a ballad right and it's funny because he actually starts getting up tempo towards the middle of that towards the end um of the solo um which is just another way how like the rhythm section responds like you can hear the drums you know responding to that playing a little more like eighth notes or sixteenths or whatever right um yeah just complete right i have to say his um ideas of tonal embellishment are mm. apt and they're just so so precise but they're just so good 
Um, someone can learn so much from him just looking at some things that he's been doing, like melodically. It just he finds ways of getting into non-chord tones, but also finds a way to still play those chord tones within one one range of a, a measure. I think it's it's just mind-boggling. But he is one of the greats, and so sad that we lost him so soon. Um, you want to hear a funny story? Sure. Um, if you look up the Grammy Award show from 1984 with Winter Marsalis, um, this was when he got like the award for uh, classical and jazz that year. Right. Um, look up the recording of him playing with Sarah Vaughn playing mm -hmm. September song. Right. And Winter Marsalis plays Clifford Brown solo exactly. <laughs> and during it, you can see Sarah Vaughn who was on the original with Clifford right. looking at him being like, bro, why are you playing Clifford solo? You know? And then Winter Marsalis sees Sarah Vaughn looking at him and then he starts improvising his own stuff right. like halfway through. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, to be an artist at that time would have been amazing because the careers that both of those gentlemen had within playing jazz was just incredible. Um, now back to one of our your favorite artists. We're making a full Esperanza Spalding sandwich. Hunter, finish out the sandwich. Indeed, I will. And number ten is called "Smile Like That" by Esperanza Spalding. Uh, Spalding, not Smalding. Esperanza Spalding. And um, you know, it, she. How do I describe it? Her voice reminds me very much of a Sarah Vaughn type character. You know, she has that, it's almost like a, a smoky or husky type sound to it. Um, but it's, and like Sean said, it's very cool, very smooth, you know, uh, feel to it. it, gives you that atmosphere. Um, now, it, she's the only repeat artist on this list. So, what about Esperanza Spalding makes her worthy of two songs to make the cut? uh just her artistry like we said before um is just really nuts um i think the introduction alone is something really awesome how like it has like the bing bong like almost like bell tones at the beginning yeah and then it kind of like opens up into the song into like the groove um that we're all familiar and i i think what's awesome about her and like the other artists we've all talked about is just like the melodies are really good that they yeah, they are. Um, and everything just makes sense. It's not like too flashy. It's not going outside of the realm of coherency. Um, it, it's simple, but it has a lot of um, advanced stuff behind it, you know? So I think that's why I put it twice. <laughs> mm hmm Yeah. I, I mean, she's certainly worthy of it. Um, I know you said way at the beginning that you were only recently introduced to her music, even though people had been telling you for a while to do so, but how did you first come across her? Um, I think it was just in like, in school, like in, uh, in um, like beginning of college, people are like, man, you gotta check out Esperanza Spaulding. She's like really good. She like won the Grammy and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll check her out. And then, you know, I just never did because uh, of work and busy and stuff. Um, but 
And people like I think the main thing was just like that Grammy win over Justin Bieber and Drake with the new I think that's what really propelled her career. Um and obviously you're gonna get some believers hating on her or whatever. Um and that did happen a lot. Um and she got like a bunch of hate for winning the Grammy and beating out Drake and Justin Bieber, um, which is kind of sad, but well deserved, you know. When she won, everyone was like, Who? Esperanza Spalding? Who? Then they checked her out and then you know they got acquainted and they loved her. <laughs> I yeah. love her, her music. I think she's really good. Yeah, I would say so. Um I I mean per me personally, I mean I don't usually follow the Grammy Awards, but I didn't know that she had had beat them out. Um but after hearing her, I mean I think it's very easy to see. Me, I'm sort of biased, you know, Sean knows was not a big fan of, of of current stuff. So Drake and Bieber and you know everyone in their field, not really my thing. I have nothing against them. It's just not really what I prefer. Um, but it's nice yeah. to see somebody who, and again, I wish no ill will towards them, but it's nice to see somebody in an, an I'll say an older genre, more established genre that's fallen out of the public eye a little bit, come back for the win, you know, then people recognize that talent. Yeah, I think I think jazz is gonna start making a a turn around. Cause did you guys watch Soul, the Pixar movie? I have not watched it yet. Sean did. I did. Yeah. What do you think? Uh that can that can be saved for another discussion, another time. All right. Well, <laughs> I I liked it. Um, okay. Especially, uh, I I thought it was really cool. It gave like. Uh, a question to like what the meaning of life is and stuff like that and um it incorporated like this jazz musician played by john baptiste and they actually used his fingers all on the piano and stuff for the animation which i thought was cool um but you have people like john baptiste in the limelight of like the pixar movie and also he's on late night with stephen colbert um and then you also have people like charlie puth who is a jazz musician um, who's starting to integrate more jazz chords and um, like different melodies and stuff. Uh, and then you have people like Jacob Collier, who I think is nominated for best album of the year, right? Uh, so he's starting to break ground too, I, I think. And then you have Esperanza Spalding. So I think jazz is going to make a return um, or at least bump up a little bit to what it has been with the Kenny G years, you know. <laughs> you know, I think definitely the interest in it has been rising over the last couple of years. Uh, for whatever reason, we've just seen the in the increase of it, um, which I, I'm not opposed to. You know, I'd love to see it get more in the spotlight. Maybe that renews interest in the older artists who were the foundations of the field. And you bring some of the older, you know, whether it's swing or bop or um, you know fusion to the modern audience, which I think would be pretty cool. You know, maybe more people would find that they like it, but yeah. they've never given it a chance. Um, but uh, one of the specific things that I find sometimes not gets lost, but you know, instrumentation is very important, and instrument instrumentation very much has to do with what style of jazz you're playing. And I noticed that um, Esperanza, she plays stand-up bass, like a lot of big uh, 
jazz musicians or, or jazz bands have in their group. And I always ask people when I know that they're jazz uh, aficionados, do you prefer stand-up or electric? <laughs> do I? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, not necessarily that you play it, but when you listen, can you tell the difference? Do you prefer one over the other? Yeah, you could definitely tell a difference. Um, to me, it doesn't matter. It, it all fits with the song. Uh, I would say, though, I do like hearing a lot of, or, or a little bit more bass in songs. I think mm -hmm. most of the time in jazz, bass gets covered up a lot, which is really annoying. Uh, <laughs> because that's like one of your rhythm sections getting covered up. Covering up the drums, you know, doesn't make sense. Um, bass, I, I feel like bass needs to come out more. Um, but uh, yeah, it all depends on the style of music. I, I, I personally feel that as a society, we shouldn't be like too boggled down by like instrumentation and like what style we have to play. Um, because the main thing is just to go out and play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And as soon as we do that and like not care about what other people think, I think that's where we're going to really thrive. Yeah. And, you know, the, those, you know, I'm going to say breaking the molds of, and, you know, not caring, I think is what have propelled a lot of the musicians forward, like people like Jacob Collier and clearly like Spalding. Um, so, you know, that could be the, the way forward, the way to introduce, uh, a younger audience to an older style by incorporating some newer techniques into it, which is clearly what the aforementioned people were doing. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And with that, I mean, that's all I have to say about it. If you have anything else you'd like to add. Uh, yeah, I feel like um, jazz is really coming back, especially in the Incredibles. I almost put on an incredible song on there. Because you know, Incredibles and Incredibles Two features a lot of jazz. Um, I, I think it's coming more mainstream. Yeah, it does. I think, I think it's uh, I think it's coming back around. And the comment I made about uh, the um, Kenny G years. Um, Kenny G is actually a really fantastic musician. If you ever look up his stuff. Um, yeah. Not his. Uh, not his. Uh, what is it called? Uh, smooth, smooth jazz. Smooth, not as smooth jazz. But if you look up some of his combo stuff, it's really good. Um, and he's he knows what he's doing. Um, funny story about him is I learned that he actually made more money in like stocks than he's ever made in being a musician. <laughs> so so that's an interesting take on that too. Um, oh, it means he's a good businessman then. Yeah, <laughs> which is an interesting uh, not co well, I suppose it's sort of a coincidence um, based on the type of music that he's associated himself with. Mm -hmm. But with that, we have concluded your list of 10 songs, Joel. And if you would stick with us, we have a short little jazz quiz for you. After um, <laughs> our quick break, we'll come right back and we will have a five-question quiz and see what you know. Sweet. Okay, and we are back with Joel for the final segment, which is your five-question jazz quiz. Are you ready 
Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So it was originally going to be a more modern jazz quiz. And as I was making it, it just wasn't working the way I wanted. So we sort of have like a, not history of jazz, but like various types of jazz. All right, number one, what is the name of the type of jazz influenced music that came out of Brazil, which became a sensation in the United States? Is it bebop, bossa nova, fusion jazz, or cool jazz? Ooh. Um, bossa nova. You would be correct. Bossa Nova, new rhythm, new beat. And it was, uh, they heard a lot of music from the United States and the jazz they started incorporating into their native music in Brazil, the Portuguese influence along with the African roots. And thus we got Bossa Nova, which has recently become known as elevator music. Love elevator music. I love elevator. I, I do I too. That, I made that joke once at a concert and everyone laughed. We were playing, um, oh shoot. You know that song, uh, Girl from Ipanema? Yeah, Girl from <laughs> yeah. Ipanema, yeah. We were going to play that song, and I was like, you guys have probably heard this in the elevator, Girl from Ipanema, <laughs> and then everyone laughed. <laughs> it's true, and, you know, it's unfortunate because I really like Bossa Nova, and I, it's a shame that that's what it's become known as, but that's a whole separate podcast. Um, all right, number two. In what decade did the style bebop come into creation first? Was it the 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s? 40s. It was the 40s. Very good. All right. You're two for two so far. <laughs> Number three. What group of musicians are credited as being the fathers of the genre colloquially known as modern jazz. Is it A, Louis Armstrong, Sidney Bechet, and Earl Father Hines? B, Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, and Dizzy Gillespie? C, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, and Harry James? Or D, Wynton Marsalis, Herbie Hancock, and Oscar Peterson? Hmm. Uh, the last one, I, I would say that Winter Marsalis, though, is a neoclassicist, which means like he's trying to like preserve jazz, which is different from like mm -hmm. modern jazz, like Robert Glasper and uh, like people like Esperanza Spalding is a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say probably D. D. Winter Marsalis, Herbie Hancock, and Oscar Oscar Peterson. That is, yep. you know what. In thinking about this, this could have two answers because if you talk about modern jazzes and jazz of the current day, that would be the answer. So you would be correct. That's very good. Um, when I guess when I wrote it, I was thinking about like jazz into the new era, which was like, you know, it would have been Parker, Monk, and Gillespie because they propelled it into like out of what it had been prior. And I guess people classify mm -hmm. modern jazz as like bop into the more modern times. But technically, your answer is. Correct. So you are three for three. Yeah, I would say like those are like they definitely broke it out from like the blues to bebop. Um, but I feel like it's changed a lot after that with funk and right hard bop and uh, bossa nova and cubop and stuff like that. Right, and I think what you know when people say modern when they say quote unquote modern jazz, I think they were thinking people who took influences mm. from their playing Parker, Monk and Gillespie and used it to create all these sub genres. Mm. 
because like you said, there are so many of them now. Yeah. Now that evolved. All right. Number four, um, a modern, uh, a jazz quartet is made up of what types of instruments, of what instruments, what makes up, so this one is not multiple choice, what makes up a jazz quartet? Um, depends. Uh, usually you have the rhythm section, so drums, bass, and piano, and then it could be a trumpet or a trombone, or it could be a saxophone, any of those three. Very good. Um, you have uh, the, the categories that they classify it as. Oh, sorry, or, or guitar. I was just thinking out loud. Yeah, I guess you could also have, yeah. Um, the categories they classify it as is a horn, for one, two, a chordal instrument, three, a bass instrument, which is usually a bass, and then four, drum kit. Mm -hmm. So you are very correct. Congratulations. You are four for four. <laughs> and number five. What is the name of the style of jazz that arose in the 1980s, more commercially oriented, which emphasized melody and combined easy listening with R&B? <laughs> is it A, fusion, B, swing, C, freeform, or D, smooth? Smooth jazz. Smooth jazz, <laughs> which is why I was laugh I was in my head laughing when you mentioned Kenny G, and I was like, yes, because... And that's what I meant by he was like a business-oriented guy because he knew that that style of music clearly played to a more commercial audience. Um, so very nice. You have passed with flying colors. <laughs> Sweet. Congratulations. And I want to thank you before I hand it over to Sean. I will thank you, Joel, for being back. It's always a pleasure to see you. Um, and I wish you luck with uh, your upcoming year of school. God only knows what it's going to look like. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. <laughs> yeah. Back to you, Sean. Thanks, Hunter. Uh, thanks again, Joel. Uh, always great to see you and always great to catch up with all your musical tastes because you usually always give me something to listen to and to think about before you leave. So I really appreciate you being here and hopefully we'll have you back on and we'll do another uh, top 10 list or we'll do another deep dive. But um, looking forward to talking to you again and uh, we'll see you around. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Joel, and uh, next time, me and Hunter will sit down and talk about Crazy For You in our new deep dive. That's it for me. I'm Sean Kunis. And I'm Hunter Sagana, and remember to keep listening to what you love. <laughs>